Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. This is episode 36. I always seem to forget which episode we're on. And again, someone who I don't forget every week is Stu. How are you doing, Stu? Not bad. Yeah, you can't forget me despite your best efforts. The drink and the drugs, they still don't block me out. But hey, you That sounds like the uh, one of the forgotten drafts of a Verve song. It does actually, yeah. I'm feeling quite poetic yeah, the today. The drink of the drugs don't block me out. There you go. That's that's a nineties ballad <laughs> there for you. Yep. Yeah, it's a weird week, which we'll get to in a bit, but luckily we can escape to the world of video games. Um so what have you been playing? Well, Escape hasn't really happened a great deal. I, to be fair, I didn't actually play any games up until yesterday for the entire week, which is very unusual for me. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very uncommon. Um, I think mainly because I've started uh, doing study. Uh, I'm studying towards uh, a diploma, so mm. conversation for another day. But yeah, I've been busy as well as the world being an absolute toilet. So it's, it's been, yeah, a bit of a funny week. But yesterday I managed to jump on... 13 Sentinels, colon, Aegis Rim. <laughs> I don't know why that's there. We'll come to that in a sec. But this is the new Vanillaware game. So I'm a Vanillaware. I don't know if obsessive is too strong a word. It's probably a too strong a word. Fine. But I love their output. Yeah, big fan. Yeah, big fan. Probably not an obsessive. But, I mean, enough to get their games as soon as they come out and, you know, follow them and get get excited, get hype about what they're doing. And it's been a long time since their last release. So I delved into it with a bit of trepidation because I'm not a super fan who just, you know, blindly says everything they do is amazing. I will be critical. But to be fair, even though it's an odd game so far, I've been really enjoying it. And it's odd because I, and we don't often go into how games, you know, what's the structure behind them in any detail because you, know, you can find that stuff out on YouTube in seconds. But it's worth mentioning here because it's very odd. So it's kind of a mix between kind of an RPG and a visual novel and an exploration game uh, as well as an RTS. So if that makes it sound a bit muddled, then it is Mm. because it certainly starts that way. So it has you start as a protagonist as a school kid and then you do a few things that introduce the plot and then you switch to another one and see the plot from a different angle and it does that several times and it introduces a lot of concepts that overlap and cross over and you don't really know what's going on and i think that might put a lot of people off but i i clicked with it and one of the one of the reasons I did is because I was really impressed with this is that it's really inclusive and anyone who started off starts off seeing the artwork and seeing that you know the school kids and they're in the anime style probably like me got a little bit kind of nervous about sexualization and stuff but to as a complete shock to me it's introduced a uh, concept of people being gay non-critically it's introduced the concept of being non-binary uh, without criticism and although it's not kind of playing them very high in the mix so to speak mm. it addresses them and it makes you think about them uh, so the characters gender and sex is discussed along with sexuality so 
I was really impressed by that, especially as it was just like driving down the road and it being part of the paving rather than it being a giant angel of the north on the side of it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's impressive. A, it's a weird one, actually, to, to, to hear because whenever I've played a Vanillaware game before, there's always this level of, right, where should I play it and who can I risk seeing me play this Vanillaware game? So to hear that it, it doesn't seem to be as in your face, possibly, as those are, and that it's doing things to be inclusive, that's that's good to hear. Because I think the more games that are inclusive but don't signpost it that they're being inclusive, the better it will be moving forward. Yeah, yeah, I think their sort of visual comedy exaggeration uh, in the past, more specifically than in this game, um, it told its own story. And I think, you know, it, it was quite clever in the way that it did that. But at the same time, superficially, it was still kind of like, oh, well, those are exaggerated features and they can be, you know, construed as sexist. You only have to engage with them for a very short time to realise that they're not sexist because they're cartoonish and it's very deliberate. But like you said, you don't want people walking in on you like that you know because it's just it sends completely the wrong signals and uh, no, it's subversive it's, it's subversive honestly it's, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a critique on the um, the sexualization of people and how we gender stereotype honestly yeah yeah well there's a there's a, a huge discussion to be had around that isn't there I think that you I think that there are some who go well you know I'm using this to explore an idea and we're gonna the idea is actually a fundamentally sound one uh if you misinterpret it that's on you but then i think there's also you know, the likes of bayonetta which are like for me it's oh we're being really really clever it's not actually sexualized but then you you look at it and you delve deep and you try and find some more depth to it there isn't any so it's, it is just sexualized that's my personal no, um- opinion and with Bayonetta, actually, not to go too far off subject, because I don't, I don't do that. I don't go off subject at all. Is Bayonetta, was that written by mainly men? I, I never looked into this properly, or was there a strong female influence on the writing and design of Bayonetta? Because it always struck me with the argument that old Bayonetta's using her sexuality as a weapon to try and subvert um, what, sexualizing women means it still felt like it was coming from the writing of a man rather than an actual woman yeah i think to the best of my knowledge it was an entirely male team yeah yeah and i think that's probably the case with with this with 13 sentinels as well but it they have a very strong director in place and i think that his heart is it seems like his heart is in the right place with what he's trying to do with sexuality so he's not ignoring it mm. he is hyper like hyper sexualizing things at times but not to a degree where it's you know egregious or upsetting but again you know it depends on how you take it so yeah yeah it's an it's always going to be an odd one i think but is it a good game yeah for me yeah, yeah. i think you're going to have to be a person who is quite patient especially early on it's not going to appeal to everybody because it crosses niches which is always a, a risky strategy because the other, uh, you can you know just as well as I do, that the RTS community and the people who play, who watch anime and play visual novels 
are one of the widest apart genre communities you can conceive of, you know, and it mashes those two yeah, together. If you, if you try to make a Venn diagram of those two and what they're like in the middle, there's a massive gaping chasm like the size of the Grand Canyon. In Precisely, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, there are very few that are far apart from one another like them. So it, not many people are going to hit with it, I'm afraid, I don't think. So the, the, the four people who like it will The like four it. people who like it, well, yeah, exactly. We'll become mass, massive advocates. Um, but yeah, it's going to be the nice thing to say on it really is because uh, it's, it, it's the end of a generation, because it's platform specific, because it's had a limited physical release, it's going to, I think it's going to probably become a fairly rare game. So I'm quite chuffed that I ordered my copy deliberately from Game because they did a little art book with it that I got. Uh, so I'm hoping that I, I don't normally buy stuff in the hopes that it becomes rare, but I did with this. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's that's a good sound investment. Not maybe not maybe not going to earn you the money to leave to future generations, but hey. Well, there aren't <laughs> there aren't going to be any future generations. So. No, we could be dealing in broken CDs and things like that in the future. So yeah, we'd be making spears out of old cassette tapes and stuff in twenty years' time. So yeah, trying to explain to people what entertainment was. You mean you was allowed to enjoy things? It was exactly. Yeah, as long as we as long as we stayed in our homes, it was fine. Yeah, no, it's that definitely interesting. I've been playing some interesting games myself. Obviously, I'm still some art of rally and the greatest game of the year, Hades. Although, when it comes to game of the year talk later in the year, I might um, have a few discussions around that because boy, am I finding it hard to separate out games this year. Yeah, but anyway, a couple I want to touch on now. Um, that have really hit me, and they're both on the on the on YouTube and on the site. If you want to check them, one is Overcrowd, a commute 'em up, which is out as of now, and it essentially takes a similar sort of form to like your theme hospitals and and things like that. And the idea is you need to build an underground metro-style station that runs as efficiently as possible, makes as much money as possible, uh, makes commuters as happy as possible, and, and all things like that. Various different scenarios that bring it all together. Um, what I really like about this game is twofold, really. One, it's just really bright. You actually have to build the station, and it's like you, you can get to like carve into to the uh, the world and do different levels and and not only just put things in place but you can literally sculpt your your metro station and there's loads of options like from the base like where you put like turnstiles ticket machines drinks machines things like that but also the rooms you need for staff actually where you need to keep all the various tools the staff need to use so it goes into detail there and when i first thought oh this is going to be a bit overcomplicated it's not. It works really well. It has a really good upgrade tree as you go that makes everything seem really quite sen- uh, sensible to, to keep an eye on. Uh, but what I really like about this is there's a concentration on the people, uh, both the staff and the commuters. They've got this wonderful personality. And the staff members you deal with have almost got this RPG-esque feel about it. Um, that they will sort of level up as they go, but not sort of like, oh, they're just better at this skill. Their personalities really start to shine through, um, as do the personalities of the commuters. But it's like a really cutesy style. I'd almost say sort of like uh, Facebook game graphics, the way the people look on it. 
very it's gone for a very simple look to it, but that makes it just all the much better to play. All the much better to play. That's a weird sentence. <laughs> and it's yeah, it's just a really entertaining game, and one that I I thought I'd play for a few minutes just to get some footage from or do an opinion piece on, and then move on. But it's hooked me. It's really hooked me, and it's one that I'm sort of going back to in my weekly rotation already. Honestly, it's if you if you like games like Theme Hospital or Two Point Hospital, and you want just a different aesthetic, this really is worth going. If you found those games overcomplicated, then this I think is a great intro into that that genre. Really, really fantastic game. Yeah, just looking at pictures of it, it looks uh, it looks really. Uh, a gorgeous presentation. A really bright. And it's made by a husband and wife team, and that's it it's, as well. By the way, two people made it. One done the coding and that that side of it, and the other done the art. Oh wow! Is it a UK team? I believe so. Yeah. It's set around like the city of London. Um, <laughs> How can you decode such, it, <laughs> such deep? Yeah. yeah, it could be anywhere. Could be absolutely anywhere. Yeah. So I think so, but don't hold me to that. They could be European, they could be American. I don't know. Fair enough. I asked I asked them directly for a code. I actually went and sought this one out after I saw it. And I asked the um one of the developers um directly for a code and they came back to me and I still couldn't tell you where they're from, but I don't care where they're from. It's yeah, one of those yeah. things that I don't that's one of the things I, but we'll come to sort of that in a minute though, because there's something I want to come up to with another game in a minute that is, I, I played last night that just had me sort of really sort of like in la- like still laughing this morning about it. We'll come to that in a minute. But yeah, Overcrowd, A Commuter Map, absolutely fantastic little gem of a game. Uh, it's about 15 quid, which some people might go, oh, that's a bit much. But honestly, you will get more than your money's worth out of it. Nice. So the other game I've been playing that I want to talk about is Partisans 1941. Now, I can't go into too much about it because I only started it last night as of recording. So it was on the Monday night. I've done a stream of it, which you can find on YouTube um, if you want the full replay or you can find it on Twitch still under the highlights. So it's a real-time tactics stealth strategy game. But for me, the best way I can describe it is like a real-time XCOM. I don't know if... Did you catch any of it last night, Stu? You did, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. I watched it for a while, yeah. Yeah. Would you say a real-time XCOM is a good way of putting it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, And then once you... I mean, you've got that on the tactical side of it, but then there's also this, like, base-building character development sections in between as well, where you have to pass over a few nights at your base... You then send different characters out to do different tasks, all that kind of thing. So I mean, it must build up and build up and build up. Uh, and it's really good. It's really interesting. I'm glad I got into it and I'll definitely play more of it. And I can't really go into too much detail about, I say, the game itself. Um, it's got all the usual trappings of all those games and it does it well. But what got me was the characterization within the game. And this is why I want to know where the makers are from and what they was trying to get going because it's set during the second world war you play as a group of russian freedom fighters i'd say and you're i think within i oh know i think german occupants have come to take like into where into russia and the germans and all 
they've got thick German uh, accents, you know, strong Nazi vibes and things like that because it's the Second World War. And they've got the accent. They are German. But the Russians speak with a mixture of British accents. You've got some really sort of, oh, yes, well, you know, we need, we need to stop this type thing. Um, and then you've got, you're right, governor. Yeah, we're going to go. We're going to go and do this mission. And like little, oh, hello, my name's Pip. And I got to help because I'm a very helpful young 14-year-old boy, sir. All got these weird British accents. And they're Russian. And it's it, that just took me out of the whole caring about the characters kind of thing at that point when I started hearing them. And it went further. I actually cared more about the gameplay than I did the characters at all and why they was in it because it just took me out of it. They should have Russian accents. If they've got Russian names and they're in Russia and they're Russian, make them speak with a Russian accent, even if it's English dubbed. I think at one point I joked and when it's... Um, they could call this game Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Nazis, um, <laughs> by the way that people were talking. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's a really good game, but I just can't get over why some games need to do this. Why they need to go, well, we look, we know they're from this country, but we're going to give them accents that aren't anything to do with it. Is it because that people look at the Russians at the moment as the enemy and they felt that people wouldn't be able to side with the Russians in a game like this if they had Russian accents? I think no. I uh, well, I, I think there's a couple of things. I think that because Britain, because there's a tradition in Britain of theatre and because mm -hmm. uh, British accents are, they're sort of, they're thought of as being part of the acting establishment. If you want something to be delivered in theatrical tones that the widest audience will understand, you often pick a British actor because they speak English, which is the world, you know, the most widely known language, and you know they've got there's a history of performance there. I, I think there's there's a bias towards us in the UK because of that. Yeah. So I think the default can sometimes be, in a lot of European places, it will be, we need somebody who speaks English, who's an actor, then we'll pick an English actor. And if they're in America, it will be, well, they're American, um, unless we need somebody who's a villain and we'll pick somebody English. But And then we'll pick yeah, British. So there's that part of it, uh, I think. Um, but I, my question is, the German accents, are they from German native speakers or is it English people putting on a German accent? I couldn't tell you. So my first thought, I think I was so taken aback by the British accents for the Russians that I didn't really pay too much attention. So the German accents could well be incredibly insulting for all I know, but I didn't. they didn't stand out as bad to me. Yeah. But then I don't know German dialect. I don't know the differences. You know, when we put on fake German accents for things, not like me and you personally, but the general we, we probably get, Germans probably give the same reaction we do, where we go, look, not every British person sounds posh. Germans probably give the same reaction where we've, everyone's picked up this like almost Nazi style German accent. And it's like, that's not how we sound at all. Are you ridiculous? Yeah, yeah. And I know, I know a few German people, um, they're quite softly spoken and things like that. So the, you feel a bit others part is just, 
ridiculous um, for a start. But it didn't seem like that in the game. It didn't seem overly um, stereotypical. Um, but I'd need to play some more and get back to it. Yeah, so... What I actually would have gone... Well, I was just going to say, so then if they've picked German actors and English actors when it should have been German actors and Russian actors, then that smacks of laziness. But if they're putting... If the, if it's all an all-English cast, it's probably just, um, you know, budgetary and they're putting on an accent they feel comfortable with. Yeah, mm. possibly. If it is, then fair enough, but then... I'd rather they went the whole hog and got someone to do some Russian accents as well. Um, see, what I would like, and the game for me that has still got this absolutely spot on balance wise, is the original Metro game, Metro 2033, where you can get it and play it in full English dub and um, subtitles and everything. And yeah, that's fine. It does the job if you really, really want the background story that's going on. But you can also play it in Russian. And all the background chatter is in in Russian and you just have English subtitles. And that just brought me into that game so much more. I played it for a bit in English and then I switched to Russian. And just playing it in Russian was just absolutely perfect. It, it just felt right. Um, and it would have been nice to have the option for this. If it's budgetary, fair enough. If it's not budgetary and it's a decision they've made for what any other reason then I would like to see a Russian option here. Mm. It is particularly... Yeah, I might, uh, Sorry, go on. no, no, go on. I might have missed something in the options. I did look and couldn't see it. You could choose English, I think Russian and Chinese as language options, but that struck me as that was just, that was the language options, not a, a, a an accent or a dub or anything like that. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know, I don't know, but it's a... It's a um, it's unfortunate because aside from that, it is an absolutely fantastic game that I'm not very good at. Yeah, no, it's uh, it is unfortunate if they've decided if it was a a logistical decision to to not use the correct accents where possible because particularly in this context because one of the problems in the UK is a very UK centric view of the war of World War Two um, mm-hmm. that. Yeah, we won the war. Yeah, that is shared by the Americans. Uh, Not that they think we won the war, but they think they won the war. Whereas people in Europe tend to have a much more balanced view that, you know, one of the major reasons that the war was ended the way it did was because of the Russian involvement. And in fact, if it wasn't for the Russians, then, you know, it's very likely that we still may have lost. Um, But... Yeah, so it's it's very it's unfortunate then to then have a game that has Russians as one of the main uh, pro- proponents in the game, and for them to be speaking English, it's not good optics. Yeah, I know. I mean, obviously, the war. It was almost like all the countries of Europe came together and formed some kind of union to, to beat a greater evil. Oh, I don't know. Could could be an idea. Nah, that's crazy. I know. I know. It was Brit- Britain won the war. Yeah. So, <laughs> just for the uh, those of you who are <laughs> short of sarcasm, we are being whenever we say that Britain won the war, we're being very, very ironic. Stewies. <laughs> honestly, I get up every morning and I see one World Cup and two World Wars to my children to wake them up. <laughs> you got to indoctrinate them early. <laughs> I don't, honestly. I really, really don't. Just in case, yeah, we are being facetious and um, having fun with it. Learn your history, kids. Not from Britain, not from British textbooks. <laughs> yeah, um, no. Because all, yeah. 
Uh, because all you're going to learn about is capitalism, Dad, apparently, because you're not allowed anti-capitalist education anymore. Dad. And talking of anti-capitalists, the demons Daddy, here. Daddy, who's watching? No one's watching. I'm recording with Stu. So, we will move on, unless you've got any other games, Stu. Nope, nope. Just the one this week. That's it for me this week as well. Um, so we are going to move on. Um, we probably will get a guest of honour throughout this next section uh, because that is the professionalism you get on a show like this. And it's going to be relevant because you know where I would like to go about now? No. I'd like to delve into a fantasy world in my head and pretend that there's no one else around, which is quite relevant to what we're moving to. So, yeah, prompted by a conversation we had on one of our patron-exclusive After Hours episodes, I spoke about community and mainly the character Arbed with, within the series and the, the, the fantasies he lives within his own head and the way he deals with general problems within his own head and creates these fantastical worlds. And it got me to thinking, it's something that I do a lot of, not to the extremes that you would have on a TV show, but I do it. I, I kind of I, I kind of now and again escape into a fantasy world within my head, or I run scenarios through my head in, in a certain in a certain way. Um, and it got me to wondering sort of like whether other people do that as well. Uh, so an example, like a very mundane example, was when I first had to go and get my foot looked at, because I had the pressure ulcer on it, and I was going, and I built up this whole scenario in my head whereby I would go, they would tell me that I need to go and see a specialist, I would see the specialist, and then the specialist was going to say that, that there's not much they can do, they're going to give it a week, see what the treatment's like, if it doesn't work, then it's going to be amputation. I, but it wasn't just the sort of like... I've, being a bit stupid and crazy. I was actually planning all this in my head. It was vivid in my head, like fully, fully awake, fully with it. But I just had this completely mapped out in my head and sort of like what reactions I would get from the kids, from other people and all weird things like that. Just putting myself into that scenario, playing out almost like an entire few weeks and years within a bus journey, all within my head. Not daydreaming at the same time, but just literally turning into a fantasy within my head, almost like turning it into a sitcom. I was like, that. this can't be normal. Um, it's got to be some kind of disassociative thing. But as, yeah, I was just, it's one of those things I've never really spoke about. And I just don't know whether it's something that other people do or if it's just that something in my head or what. Yeah, it's definitely something I As do. you backs away from the mic going, you crazy. <laughs> yeah, I'm gone. That's it, I'm out the door. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no I, th I definitely have that as well. And I would have gone through my entire life thinking that everybody does the same. Um, but apparently they don't. But speaking for myself first, yeah, I think I do it less now that we have smartphones. <laughs> I think that I've got... Yes. I think I did it far more in times of boredom and I think, well, disengagement from stuff. And I think that in the modern world, I'm so engaged with stuff all the time that I do it less, which is a bit sad in a way. But yeah, no, I'll still do it. So for a good example on the buses... I'll drive through an area that I don't like, like it's ugly or it's run down or combination of the two. And, you know, in the past, I've fantasised about what it would look like if it was improved and kind of like give myself a budget and like how much better would it look if I just chucked a million quid at this area? Just as I was doing then, your mind goes off on this 
tangent and you visualize all these things and that when you're in a positive place it makes the world far better for you because it shows you what's possible I don't yeah it's sad that I don't do it as much but then I also found out that some people have a condition called aphantasia and not in a way that oh yeah okay you know one percent of the world has this kind of no apparently a lot of people have aphantasia which means they're not that they go hey fantasia when they see it on the disney channel but that they that they are unable to visualize fantasy so they they cannot visualize when they're reading a novel they can't create that world in their head and i never knew that was a thing i had no idea and mm. the people who can't do it had no idea that people could that other people were able to and that blows my mind wow and there's there's a difference. It's one of the reasons I think I can't remember if it was last week we spoke about it on here or it was something else or it was someone else. So forgive me if it was me and you that spoke about it, or apologies to the other person if it was just like a conversation I had. But I can't read a book that I can read. Don't get me wrong, I can I can write. Okay, just to clarify, I get some people can't read for various different reasons, and it's nothing to get to anyone that cannot. I but I can read. I just can't. There's the ADHD going again. People know what I mean. Because I start to read a book and it starts to describe a scene in that book. And before I've even finished that page, I'm making up the rest of that book in my head. Um, I'm not saying I'm writing a good story. You know, none of my stories are ever going to be any good. But I'm, I'm, I'm gone with what it is. My head's now going, I'm like, this is what I think should happen. This is who this character is and this is what they should do. Um and so I can't read a book. I've tried. I've ever since I've been about fifteen, um, and I've had to stop reading because I had to for school. I just haven't been able to do it. It's really weird. I thought maybe when I was at school and I was reading books, so I used to read all kinds like the Goosebumps books. I've read all the like the Enid Blyton books, all old dolls when I was younger. I've read biographies and all all, all that kind of thing. As soon as I had to stop reading for school and for education, that's it, I stopped reading because I wasn't having to do it logically for a reason. So my mind went off and I just couldn't finish a book. And that always frustrated me. It's always something I used to be ashamed of speaking about, but I, I didn't read because, again, I suppose it's one of those, those weird things that if you turn around and say, oh, I don't play video games, you're not going to get people look at you and just go, really? You don't play video games? What the hell is wrong with you? But if you turn around to someone and go, oh, no, I don't read books... I haven't read a book properly since I was 15, then people look at you as though you uneducated knobhead, essentially. Yeah. And so it's always an embarrassment to talk about not reading, but that's why I can't, because I can't... If someone's already done it and written it, I find it very hard to concentrate. I find it hard with films and TV at times, where I'll start watching it, and then my mind goes off. I remember it took me... Eight, nine attempts to watch the first Lord of the Rings film. It's the only Lord of the Rings film I've watched. I've, I've not watched any of the others. Yeah. Because I was watching it and my mind was just going off with what it could be doing or what, it, or what I felt it should be. This was without reading any of the books as well. So not even a case, oh, no, the book said this, so I'm going off in that direction. I just couldn't. So, yeah, it's just a really weird thing. I just, I just live... I don't want to say I live in a fantasy world because I am very much a realist at the same time very much a pessimist uh, as well. But yeah, just really weird things. I'm saying weird things, it's not weird things, but things just trigger my fantasy faults. So do you think that's why you like games so much or a part, a part of why you do? Because games are, are continuously artistic, mm. but you always have to navigate, you have to control them in 
continuously, otherwise they don't work. So does that does that help? Possibly, yeah. And it, again, it could explain the reason why I struggle to a degree with. We were talking about partisans earlier, but if we look at something like XCOM, where you need to be very structured with how you play it, and you've got to do very certain things to get the best out of the game, and otherwise you're just you're just going to fail later on. I can't get my head around those games because I want it all to be a bit loose. I want to be able to experiment and try things out, and I try and do things with these characters, and I feel games like that don't allow you to do that. Now, there's nothing wrong with those games. And they're absolutely that they're, they're so revered, obviously, because of what they are. Um, they're just not for me because I can't build into that that structure. But then at the same time, I played through the original Last of Us, and that's a very linear story where actually it gives you the 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 mirage of choice, but actually keeps it away from you for the entire game. And I love that game. Uh, loved the wrong the wrong word, but I was enthralled by that game and what it offered. Yeah. So it's not me saying that it's it's got to be an open world game because I can't stand an open world game either. Um, so, for example, Red Dead Redemption 2, I've not bothered going into Red Dead Redemption 2 because I'm put off by the amount of busy work there is within it along with the main story to complete. But in my head, I then went off and designed in my head a game that was set in the Red Dead Redemption world where instead of having this overarching long story, you've got this world but it was a series of 20-minute episodes that were in it. None of them were actually came together in any way, shape or form. So there was no levelling up, and none of them led to this overlong story. But it was just a bunch of different episodes set within the Red Dead Redemption world. If, and I, if they made the game like that, I was in. I was in, because it's 20-minute segments, 30-minute hour segments, whatever, that didn't actually mean that if you left it for a week and went back, you've got to go, oh, crap, so what was I doing in this story? No, I've completely forgot, so I don't know if I can actually be bothered. <laughs> yeah. It was all just completely separate. And that made me go, oh, that I'd play, that I'd play. Give me the world, but give me loads of little different scenarios within that world. That's the game for me. Yeah, so I struggle with open world games because of the over, like the, the overarching story that, that that's meant to guide you through. And again, I get why they're there. I get that lots of people like them. But no, I I, I struggle with those. And this Again, maybe it's why I like indies because they're... They've got this one, a lot of them have got this one note idea and they just make that spot on and they generally last the amount of time they've got to last and they're absolutely brilliant. Hades being a great example. I think Hades allows you to go off in this fantasy world. It gives you kind of this story beat that's going but allows you to fill in a lot of the gaps as well yourself. Um, and I think that that plays to what my my brain likes to do. But yeah, something like an Ubisoft open world game doesn't do that. It doesn't allow me to do that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just a really weird thing that goes on in my... my I, I say it's weird, but it's probably something that a lot of people have. But again, do people talk about this stuff enough? Well, probably not, no. Uh, I, I, yeah, have a fairly similar reaction to longer games. And a lot of it is just boredom. Because I'm not boredom with the controls or you know, the action itself, but just lack of variety. Because most stories in games that are told narratively in the traditional sense, so in the way that they're written and then performed by an actor, are terrible, like objectively terrible. There are very few that are anywhere near good. And I include stuff like, 
you know, up to but not including The Last of Us. I mean, you're thinking of, you know, a, a tiny handful at the top. And there are lots that tell the game well environmentally. Well, there aren't lots. There should be more. But the ones that, for me, are successful are the ones who, who tell that environmentally. And to, to bring that back to fantasy, I think the reason why they are so successful, and I'm thinking primarily of Half-Life when I'm talking, is that they don't have levels in the traditional sense, but they they kind of segue into levels in a way where you have, like, Ravenholm, which is just, like, Resident Evil, but then you'll have, like, uh, the canal, and that's entirely, like, an open-world game. But And, you know, they'll have yeah. these different scenarios and places that just like the real world you can walk down a street and one part of it will be unrecognizable from another so in the real world we're used to things changing and firing our imagination and so we're able to go oh yeah well we're in this completely different place uh, geographically and mentally and games (laughs) weirdly even though they're based in fantasy very often go the other way and they make them homogenized and they look exactly the same over the course of 30 hours which seems crazy to me because that doesn't fire the imagination no and the point you bring up about half-life 2 actually is excellent um because i look at half-life 2 as an episodic game and i don't mean episode one episode two and (laughs) potentially episode three don't know where that came from but (laughs) <laughs> it's definitely not coming from the same place as episode three because that's never coming. Yeah. But anyway, um, the actual main Half-Life 2 game, I see it as an episodic game. And you're right, because it breaks it down into sections that could work completely standalone. So once you've done that river section, you could leave that game for a month, go back to it on the new section. And it's like a, literally an entirely new episode where you then just might take you a couple of seconds to get back to you to like what buttons did what, but because it's sectioned off in ways it's done, you actually get this idea of going, oh, I can go back into it and pick it up from this point. Or if you do need a refresher, you've only got to go back to that last section you was in. You don't need to go, right, I'm over this side of the map, but why am I over this side of the map? Do I need to go all the way back over there to work out what I was doing there? Because it does, it sections it off, it's linear. But that linearity allows it to breathe more than any open world game. Make the main quest the main quest. And you go through that. Then allow me to do these other quests. Or just split them off. Go, what episode do I want to do? Well, I want to do the main quest episode. So I'm going to do that. Now I will do these. Don't make them all in one. I know why they're trying to do it. But for me, it breaks away the immersion of it. Because what person goes and does a fetch quest when their love of their life is in like dire trouble it's it's ridiculous and that that oh that then sends me off going like this is what i would want to do in this world and within video games that's why i lose it whereas i think in real life it's a mix of escapism but also trying to get myself through the day as well um and it's just something i've always always done but i remember watching um Drop Dead Fred a few times and a couple of times I watched it as I got older and every time I watched it I looked at it and just went do you know what that reminds me a lot of me yeah 
you know, the Phoebe Cates character and how she is and how she interacts with Rick Mao and how others can't, but he's real. He is real, but it's her living in that fantasy world. That's what I do, to, not to the comedy extreme that you get in Drop Dead Fred, but that's what I do. So right. that's what made me think that essentially, kind of, I'm not actually alone in this because that's going back to what, the 80s Drop Dead Fred, was it? It was... Yeah, it was 80s. It hadn't gone into the 90s yet, had it? It was an 80s film. I think so, yeah. Um, yeah, because I think it was still off the back of the young ones and stuff like that, where he started to find his fate, wasn't it? But watching that, and going back home, so even back then, that's used as a tool to show it. And when you look at other things and you see other pop culture things, even, even music, I'm going, there's a lot of people that do this, but they've got these outlets to be able to express that, which I've never had. But yeah, I've decided sort of like when I was looking at stuff like this, it's something I want to talk about more because I think if you spoke about doing these things, people look at you like you are crazy, that you're unstable. And it's not being unstable. It's just about just being, I think, it's the creativity in your brain. It's the way your brain reacts to the mundane, I think. Because if you just get stuck in the mundane, I think that would drive you more and more crazy than being able to break out of it within your mind. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I think being able to control fantasy and structuring it into your life is so important. And it's no surprise that the people who who are best at it are the ones who become artists professionally. I guess. Mm. Uh, I think in terms of games, I think I think it. This is where corporate, you know, corporate stuff and the corporate structure on top of it causes the biggest. The biggest issues because they say it's got to have a lot of content but content isn't necessarily creativity you know that's like saying your song has to be three minutes because that's a pop song and if it's not it's not and your film has to be two hours because that's a film otherwise it's not and like your game has to be 30 hours otherwise it's not triple a so yeah that that kind of ha- hamstrings you from the right from the start and yeah I, th- I think much more needs to be told we're in a very what's the word we're in an era where realism is really prized and cherished like it's like oh you know things have to be real has to be you know oh this person has to be speaking from the heart and you know blah 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 and it's like no they don't no 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 we should be living mostly in a when we're not in work we should be living in a fantasy world (laughs) we need escape you know we need things to be as different as possible and we need to see beauty or excitement or whatever created by other people so that we can indulge it because we we live too much in in a very prosaic world and yeah i think that that corporate culture sort of strips loads of that away so yeah i don't know i'm just kind of rambling now but <laughs> no you're, you're absolutely spot on and just, uh, there's a couple of examples i really want to use on things that get it i think really really right i've got two favorite artists Salvador Dali being one, because again the surrealism that's with it as, as it was given. Uh, there's a lot of story and a lot of messaging within his his artwork and the way I see it and the way he portrays things is like, do you know what? I've I've seen the world like that and I get that. Um, and my other one, bizarrely, is a graphic designer called Herbert Bayer, who was um, a designer during the Second World War and beyond. Um, but what I love about him, he created, basically decided that the, the alphabet doesn't need capital, capital letters. There's no need for capitalization in the alphabet, that we use punctuation 
so we don't need capitalization. So he designed a font that basically removed any capitalization from the alphabet. Brilliant. So if you don't know Herbert Bayer, read up about him. He's a fantastic graphic designer and, you know, some of his works are absolutely amazing. But he takes uh, a fantastical look into the way type works and what that does. So again, he's another one that lives in a, who's got a fantastical idea about things. And so they both speak to me in, in, in different ways. But the, you look through history, people who live in these fantastical worlds have been there throughout history, but we've never understood them before. But for me, I have, and like, I feel like even trying to speak about it, I can't convey how much sense they make speaking about it. Does that make sense? And there's my catchphrase. There we go. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that it, that it coming back to like what we were saying right at the beginning, that it feels weird to you if you hear that people don't have that kind of a fantasy world available to them. Yeah. If that feels really strange, especially as like, well, how do you fill your time? How do you not become bored? How do you not envisage and visualize something better? You know, a, a progress. How does it not strip away, you know, your desire for living? If you can't, if you can't visualize how things would be good, wouldn't it just make you? You see, now I'm just making assumptions here, and these might be very detrimental to people. So, I'm obviously apologising in advance. I'm not trying to say that people who can't do this have no inner life. I'm just saying because I can't do it, I can't conceive of it, and it feels very strange. So, I'm positive that yeah, people who are you know, I'm aphantasic if that's the correct denonym, um, you know, f- feel that fantasy worlds and being in a fantasy world uh, is pointless and a waste of time I'm sure I'm sure some of them do at least so yeah it's it's weird that it's weird that we can't conceive of that it's such a big gap and I think that speaks to a lot to different you know neural neural behaviors you know neural divergence it's very difficult to conceive of how you know an ADHD brain works versus the way that your brain works if you don't have ADHD, yeah. to use a current example, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's an interesting one. Again, I, I don't know, it's weird, I don't know what the point of this discussion is. There's no sort of like, oh, we're going to come to a conclusion or anything like that with it. Um, no, I mean, it's not, not. we're renowned for coming to conclusions with things. <laughs> but yeah, it's just, again, it's something interesting. So, I mean, if you're listening to this... Uh, I'd love to know what your thoughts are. You know, hit us up on Twitter or, or, or Discord and please let us know what your thoughts are with regards to this. You know, do you live in these worlds? Do you have, do you see them as something that's just normal or is it a coping mechanism or do you see it as something else? Or even if you want to turn around and go, Brad, I think you're a bit cray cray, then please go ahead as well. Because that's sometimes how I look at myself. I just go, I must be insane. I do, you know, I'm waiting for some, literally the when, in, the, the when, the men in white coats to come and get me. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah, it's just really weird. But, uh, you know, are we all functioning insane patients in a way? I think so. You know, what is it? That, <laughs> yeah, what is it that can cause us to break? You know, some of us end up running a country. Other of us, of us, do a podcast to a couple of dozen people so you know yeah. what effect can it have um 
But yeah, it's 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 a it's a really weird one. It's always been an interesting one, and I'm glad I'm getting to get a, even if it's a smallish audience, getting to speak about it rather than just keeping it all locked up. Because again, I think it helps to talk about these things. It helps normalise these things. Yep, I agree. So that's pretty much it. As usual, if you want to chat, you want to ask for advice, you want to talk about video games, TV, sports, your kids, um, anything, join us on Discord. Uh, Links are below. Or just go to our website and see the links there. We're on Twitter, Facebook, if you want to support us, you can buy a Patreon or coffee. And we now do live streams every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Fridays are mental health based chat if you want to join in for those. Mondays will be an indie game first look. And Wednesdays will be a long play and that's currently Star Renegades. Plus content going up on YouTube regularly and the regular reviews and written articles are on the site. So yeah, there's that. As usual said, I'll say goodbye for Stu because I'll never let him get a word in on these outros. So Stu saying goodbye. Bye from me. Till next time, stay safe. Bye. Did you hear her then? Bye Stu. Bye.